You are listening to the Thundercling Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> Just rippling abs. How are we going to get fucking sponsored by these guys if we can't even get the name right? Did you say you're doing wrestling moves? Oh god, I'm bleeding. Jason Kale's walk around on stilts. It's fucked up. <laughs> My name is Dave. My name's Feedy. And you're listening to, to the, the Thundercling Thunder Podcast. The one and the That's only. Right. The alpha, the omega. Whoa. 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 Wait, Thanks that... for stopping by. Yeah, thank you. Uh, like your cars. Why? This, this neighborhood's garbage. Wait, I've, you the had, why did neighborhood. You, I've been parking here for months. You In never told me to do that. Fucking bad CD place. CD That's place. why all my Kit Kats are always gone when I go back to my car. That's what people steal around here. Now listen, <laughs> I I want to be straight with you, Feedy. Okay. Yeah. Well, Feedy, my podcast wife. Oh, oh. That's okay. That sounded um, really good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. You, although you have a delightful mortal coil. Yeah. And I enjoy gazing upon it. Mm-hmm. I like coils. You, <laughs> you are looking a bit haggard. What? A bit haggard? rough around the edges. It, it, your book pages are tattered. What? Fibrous. I, I'm not a book. Exactly. <laughs> Fucking exactly. It was exactly my point. Oh my god. No, you're looking um a bit run down. Okay, Dave, I know what you're getting at, dude. Okay. It's true. All right. <laughs> time is hard to manage yeah. when all you want to do with your time is go climbing. Yes. And it turns out when all you want to do is go climbing, all those other responsibilities that are knock knocking on your brain door. Okay, hold on. Pause. Pause. What are those? Because they are lengthy school, and important. School started again. Editing nursing wedding school. photos. Nursing, nursing school. Nursing school. Okay. Editing wedding photos. Yes. <laughs> Making a website for my papa. Yeah. Thunder clinging. Yeah. Work. Yeah. Regular work. Regular work. To yeah. fucking pay the landlord, dude. Yeah, because that's, that's kind of priority number one for sure. You got to do it. You don't yeah. want to be homeless. Yeah, man. I don't know. It turns out the ship was at capacity and then adding a little bit to it is starting to take on some water. Yeah. And I'm not doing a good job bailing it out. In what fact, are you doing while the ship is... You could visualize a captain walking in on his boat. Like the looking, Jaws captain. Yeah, too, yeah. Like. There's a, half the boat is torn in half because there's a giant shark like chomping at the captain. Yeah. Look, he looks at the the shark and says... Everything's gonna be okay if I look this way, and he turns around. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, if I, I think it's sustainable. I think it's sustainable. A quick sport climbing session, <laughs> uh, a couple states away, that the shark will. It's not possible. It's not eat sustainable. the whole boat. This isn't sustainable. But you're freaking looking run down, man. Yeah, I just. I'm tired. This was a rough week, um, but I'm always happy to be here because this isn't. This isn't work. This is fun. This is another thing that is, you know. Yeah, I mean, the shark is right behind the us The shark right is now. right behind us, And correct. you're just smiling, smiling at me right now, like, having a good time, drinking a beer. What does it even mean? Does it matter? <laughs> yes, it does. It matters <laughs> so much. what's funny, thank you for asking about me. I'm all right. I'm hey, sorry. man, and I didn't mean the whole haggard thing. Yeah. Like Haggard. You're a delightful looking young man. Thank you. And, um, But l- less delightful right mm-hmm. now. 
mm-hmm. and it doesn't have anything to do with the light. Does like, it have real. something to do with the like dark, dark holes where my eyes used to be? Yes, actually, you <laughs> you really stuck a flag in it there. That's exactly uh, what I'm talking. Well, about. Well, <laughs> okay, I will say. Thanks for asking. Sorry to whine about my problems that are very inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. But our guest that we had today, honestly, if he, if I like sat down with him, I was like, oh, dude, I'm just struggling. So busy. It's like hard to send and then take one <laughs> class online. Yeah. Um, he would slap me in the face because yes, <laughs> our guest, Mac Mayer. He, okay, Mac Mayer is the owner and the director of product development nailed it of <laughs> butora usa butora climbing shoes he is the co-owner and the general manager of a climbing gym that he built yes, they built they him built. and his two other partners uh he own he is a co-owner of hmh outdoors which distributes maxim ropes ap plus chalk bags and chalk and butora and maybe even maxim ropes I think you just said Maxim yeah. Ropes. Yeah, I don't even Twice, know. dude, you're so tired. Dude. My poor wife. My <laughs> um, Happy wife, happy life. And then he's the co-owner of, uh, I can vouch for this, a really cool pack climbing pack company that hasn't even hit market. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking about opening another gym, not thinking yeah. about they are. <laughs> it's pretty beautiful whenever you meet somebody whose hobbies become their work i think i yeah. think because his passion is for climbing and he's found a way to make his passion is climbing and that's his passion his work <laughs> and, oh dude it's going downhill and it's impressive <laughs> yeah uh, it's super lot. impressive so we chatted with him and it's you know this guy knows his stuff when it comes to the world of business climbing business entrepreneurship entrepreneurship i need to listen he needs to take a nap it's <laughs> visibly apparent i'm looking at him dave gave me the, uh, the eyes of shame like, <laughs> i did not he was like we're doing so good feedy and then <laughs> then you fell asleep halfway through the goddamn intro oh. again well the cool thing about mac too is not only is like when when you say you're busy yeah like this guy's gonna put busy into perspective like our former guest, Brendan Leonard, mm-hmm. like who's just hustling, constantly yes. hustling. Yeah. Um, a, a funny thing that he talks about is like he met Jeremy Fullerton back in the day when they were both, he's, Jeremy was maybe climbing V9 at the time, but yeah. Mac was climbing like V8 and they were about the same strength and Mac was like, yeah, and you know, we took two different paths. He, I chose the path of starting businesses and I'm still climbing V7, V8. Yeah. And Jeremy chose the path of building his life around rock climbing. Now he's bouldering he V14, 13 V14. consistently. It's crazy. And the other cool thing is that Mac had no experience mm-hmm. in any of this. No. Not product development, not owning or managing or mm-hmm. working at a gym. Um, literally, not- literally just hard work and not just com- just committing to working hard <laughs> yeah working 90 hours a week man just like plugging the clock yeah. and he's just seeing the light at the end of the tunnel right now anyway it's a really cool uh conversation we have with him about like entrepreneurship and kind of pinpointing where you want to go in your life and just fucking selling yeah. out for it respect putting everything on the back burner yeah and maybe feedy yeah maybe climbing don't has to take it does it's going to get eaten by the shark. If you don't attend to mm-hmm. the boat, 
The shark will eat everything. The shark's going to eat me, Dave. Because time is the most important commodity that we have. It really is. I mean, we can talk about this more in the outro, but... Well, I have. I wrote up a thesis about... Really? Um, yeah, like the oh, existential... How many pages? What's the abstract? There's like 220 pages. With bibliography is probably 20 pages of that, though, so it's about 200. Anyway. Anyways. Let's get to Mac Mayer. Yeah. You guys, I hope you're going to love this. Stick around. He talks about all kinds of insider stuff about mm-hmm. the climbing shoe industry that is pretty freaking fascinating, yeah. especially if you're a business nerd. <laughs> Nerd. Nerds. <laughs> Nerd. Hey, uh, Feedy, my wife, hit that button. Just doing acid all the time and like making those things? <laughs> uh, probably. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, but you for certain own the Longmont Climbing Collective or one of yeah. the. Club. Yeah, one of, one of the owners. Yeah. yeah. And co owner with Vayu. Yeah. Sweet. Which will. How is. Are the pads done? So we didn't, we kind of broke away from pads because we were like, yeah, we can't do this as good as a sauna or organic. So we just focused just on backpacks. No, yeah. We were just talking about that on the drive up. Like what an awful niche to go into. Yeah, yeah. It's just because so the saturated. brand loyalty is just bonkers. Yeah, it's a terrible niche to go to. And like shipping them super expensive. Yep. You know, I just got two Asana pads that showed up here today. Um, it's a foam based product, which is, uh, or it's a foam product, which is oil based. So the prices of your foam go up and down as you, yeah. you know, as oil goes up and down. So, so yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's not good right now. Involved with that. The Saudi Arabia attacks. Right. Yeah. Are the tariffs hurting you guys? In the any tariffs ways? are hurting. Um, oh yeah. man, this is a world yeah. that I have known nothing of. <laughs> Yeah. It's like that's the thing of a <laughs> yeah. distributorship or yeah, you an owner. Like you got to worry about world events. Yeah. Who would have thought? We watch the news. We've got a, uh, an attorney that deals with this kind of stuff Whoa. on a reg. So, um, yeah, we make our shoes in China. Uh, we used to make them in Korea. Yeah. Um, but we make them in China. We've got a big factory. We're one of the few shoe companies that owns our own factory. Uh, you know, we also make black diamond shoes. Really? Yeah. And so what we used to do and what a lot of companies do, uh, a lot of companies have done for a while is like, this is kind of getting in the weeds, but, um, you know, obviously climbing shoes are built around the last, which is just the thick foot. Uh, and so what a lot of folks did, a lot of companies used to do was they would sew the upper around the last and then they would take it out, ship that upper to a different country, put it put another last back in it and then put the outsole on. And then that way you can call it made in Korea or made uh, in USA. Um, the problem with doing that is that you're taking that, you know, you're taking it out of the last shipping it and then putting it back in there. So it doesn't fit quite yeah. right. You know what I mean? It's not the exact same. Yeah. So we actually used to do that. We used to sew our uppers in China, send them over to Korea uh, and have them put them back in. But then James Nam, the, the owner of Butora and designer, uh, determined that that's just not the best way to make shoes. Just better to have them all made in the same factory at the same time. Uh, so we started doing that. Integrity. Why in China instead of where was he? Where's Mr. Nam based out of? He's based out of China in Qingdao. So oh, okay. he's Korean. Um, but ever since he, he just owns a China, he owns a factory in China. It's this huge, <laughs> massive facility. He's got 300 employees. He's been doing this forever. He was an OEM manufacturer for another brand of shoes. Uh, climbing shoes back in you know the aughts and I think early teens you know he used to make climbing harnesses he used to 
do all kinds of different like sleeping bags and stuff for Cabela's. So he's just like kind of been in manufacturing the whole, yeah. his whole life in China. That's kind of what he does. He's, he's like, just like a wizard. He can take a product or a picture and say, I can turn that into a product. Yeah. Like a, a mass producible. Product. Yeah. He is like the man when it comes to that. Um, so, yeah. So Mac, how did you guys become involved with the Korean climbing shoe brand? Yeah. So, um, my, my partner Brian and Brad, we all three lived in Korea. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so we, uh, you know, Brian started KOTRI, which was just like, yeah. kind of like the access fund in Korea. Uh, I remember when it, I, I wasn't there, of course, but I remember hearing about it. And I'm like, KOTR is a place with bad maps and terrible pictures. <laughs> like, <laughs> pretty much. What the hell is KOTRI? Uh, I is just for initiatives. So okay. we would just go around rebolting crags. Um, awesome. I mean, the, you know, the climbing in South Korea was, it was pretty shoddy. Like you'd go to crags like Munsusan. I specifically remember where their anchors like sometimes would be old car, t- car rims, like the steel rim <laughs> hanging up there. I'm sure you've seen. Dude, I know. Yeah. You like <laughs> run your rope through a rim of a car. It's not. I, I, when we used to go to Insubong to Boulder, Every like I've never seen a helicopter rescue in the United States, yeah. and I'm not <laughs> saying that Korean climbers are more dangerous. There are just everybody climbs in South Korea. Yeah, like everybody climbs. There would be like two helicopter rescues every Saturday and Sunday. We were at Insubong. You're just like, man, what are these dudes doing? Sounds about right. Just yeah. getting after it. Yep, getting yeah. rescued by helicopters. Anyway, so you <laughs> exactly. It must be exciting. You were there in 2009 is when you went there. Yep. Why did you go to South Korea? Uh, I was living in Utah and um, I just wanted to change. And I had a friend and he was like, hey, man, Korea is really fun. Uh, You know, very similar culturally to the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, They like to have a good time. And the climbing is really good. Climbing is everywhere, too. Yeah, it's everywhere. There's so much to be done. Yeah. And yeah. What were you doing in Utah before? Were you like an entrepreneur already? No, I was working for Big Tobacco. Oh. Yeah, I was working for R.J. Reynolds. So, uh, right (laughs) right when I went to the University of Kansas, got out of that, and like the first job I got offered, just because my mom worked there, was with R.J. Reynolds Tobacco. And they were like, hey, you can choose Salt Lake City or Portland. And I was like, well, climbing's way better in Salt Lake City. So I went there. That's why the air quality is so bad in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Fucking R.J. Reynolds is there, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what were you doing for them? Selling cigarettes. Selling cigarettes to Mormons. Yeah, so it's pretty hard. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a difficult say. job. <laughs> selling, selling good climbing shoes to climbers is a lot easier than selling cigarettes You can do anything now. Yeah, if yeah. you're selling cigarettes to Mormons... Yeah, dude. That's worse than coffee. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Good, probably it, be an astronaut. God bless your soul, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So were you in charge of the entire marketing push of Butura in the U S uh, yeah. I mean us as a company. Yeah. HMH. Yeah. HMH. Yeah. So Brian, Brian called me. I had actually moved back like a year before and I started, uh, me and my brother started a, uh, tree care company. We're, we're both arborists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, that's really hard work. Dude, that's scary. Really work hard too. to go climbing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Brian called me. He's like, Hey man, let's, let's start Butura. Let's bring it over to the States. And you discovered Butora when you were in Korea? Cause I- yep. So we were over there and, um, you know, Brian tells the story a lot. We, you know, we were all La Sportiva diehard you know, yeah. climbers. And uh, James knew us through KOTRI, the, oh, yeah. the, like the Access Fundish 
uh, nonprofit that Brian started. And he was just like, Hey, I've made these climbing shoes. And we're like, yeah, sure. Whatever, dude. And uh, <laughs> then he, uh, he was like, no, 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 you should really try them out. And we tried them out and they're all right. And, um, you know, over the course of, I think it was probably 12, 15 months, something like that. We told him, we're like, Hey, you know, we all wear solutions. Yeah. If you can make yeah. us a shoe that we like more than the solutions, well, cause he, he approached us and he knew us and he saw our leadership over there and he was like, Hey, you guys should move back to the States and, uh, you know, develop this brand with me. And we're like, yeah, no, thanks. We're expats for life. We're staying here forever type of Holy thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 But then he finally <laughs> made a shoe that we liked better, uh, with the Acro. So, uh, we just kind of did it. And did you have any experience like you or Brian and who's the other guy? Who's Brad Hilbert. Brad. Okay. Yeah. So Brad's a, um, he's, he's the head coach at Triangle Rock Club. Okay. Um, but no, we kind of, you know, it was just kind of like a ragtag group. Brian had, you know, run some smaller companies. Um, I had the sales background, you know, selling cigarettes yeah. to Mormons. <laughs> Great yeah. resume. Yep. And Brad had a degree in marketing. So international marketing. So we're like, yeah, sure. We got sales, marketing, entrepreneurship. Let's do this thing. So, and uh, how, how do you do that? Yep. Like this is this, let's get into the nuts and bolts because I understand that like, you're like, Oh, we should bring this brand over to America, but none of you had done that before. We, we hadn't done it. And the real, you know, the real big challenge is like, I was talking with a, a gentleman the other day who was trying to bring a French climbing shoe company over here. And I was like, you know, you can have all the willpower in the world, but you need, you need money. You have to have yeah. a ton of inventory. You can't just start selling shoes. Like shoes are super difficult because you know, for every, there's what, 25 SKUs for every model. Um, yeah, you know, exactly. Gotta have, you got to have size three to size 15 and mm -hmm. all the half sizes. And, and, you know, especially with Pator, we have wide and narrow. So it's even more crazy um, by the way. Yeah. But we, we started, so, uh, Brian and Brad started, we went to nationals and we were literally like meeting people in the, in the parking lot and telling them, Hey, try these shoes on. And then Brian and Brad did, uh, yeah. did like three months of driving across the country, just going to gyms and retailers and just tell, you know, introducing the line, telling them all about it. And then like the, cold calls. Yeah. Totally cold calls. The next year I moved into a 1997 Chevy van, yeah. much to the chagrin of my wife. <laughs> and, uh, we took off through the South and did six months of the same mm -hmm. and just kind of growing it super grassroots style. Well, well I gotta say it crazy. worked super well because I just remember like a time it was like before I ever saw Butura shoe and BB where and like, <laughs> yeah, before Butura. And then suddenly everyone had like an Akron. I was like, what is this cool shoe? Like, yeah. I don't know. That's, yeah, let, let's dig into that. That's a good point because we were talking, we've talked about this a bunch. Um, it seems like building a climbing shoe company would be very difficult because the brand loyalty is yeah. so intense. There's like crash pads, maybe cams, and climbing shoes. Yeah. Yep. There's so much brand loyalty to those things. Yeah. But it seems like you guys, like truly, like Feedy mm -hmm. said, it was just like, I've never heard of Butora one day. And the next day, the acro is like everywhere. And you even said yourself that you're like, build me a shoe that is better than the solution. And then I, like, I'll wear it, you know? Yep. But how'd you do it? Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's just a, a good product. And I mean, our, our team, you know, Tyler, Matt, 
Nick, Tom, like our four initial guys and like all of our, our whole team, like our whole sales team, everybody was just friends that were leaving Korea. They were expats and they were like, Hey, I want to move back to America. And we're like, how do you feel about selling shoes? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So we just kind of like enlisted them. They came on and joined and you know, three out of the four are still with us and they were just a super good team. And how is the, how's Butora sales in Korea? Uh, I mean, really good it's really like is that like, like 60 or 70 percent market share Whoa. yeah that was i mean naturally but it's actually surprising because in korea as you sh i'm sure you know you know people always want the foreign stuff they actually don't yeah. like the brand because it's korean you know they like la sportiva 510 so when i was there it was yeah. just yeah the bee's knees yeah so it's actually harder to sell butora to koreans than so than other places yeah it's crazy yeah. holy cow um so Talk about the initial days of Butora after your road trip. How was getting into the shops? Like, I, literally, I don't know how that happens. Like, how do you get into REI? How do you get into specialty yeah. shores? How do you get on a gym wall <laughs> as yeah. an unknown company? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we had, you know, s some strategies to use, but, you know, REI took us three years. We just, just got in there last year. That one is a pretty hard one. I heard yeah, they're seriously. like, they're super difficult sitting the, down with those guys. They are, and, and, and to be fair to them, they want, you know, REI looks to, your business has to be doing a certain volume because they don't want to, they don't want to build brands just off of REI's business and then have you get out of their, their store and then have you fail. So like you have to be able to right. say, I, I don't know what their percentage is, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, you literally just cold call, walk into a store, get a meeting with a buyer, sit down, say, Hey, here's our line. Um, and, you know, we didn't have the money. Like, there's a lot of bigger companies that could go in and say, hey, 90-day terms. You don't have to pay us for 90 days. Or even now, there's some, like, six-month terms, which Damn. is crazy. Um, it was really just the fact that people like the shoes. And, we, you know, we were, like, super aggressive with demos. So we, mm -hmm. we claimed that every night of the year, there was a Butora demo happening somewhere in, <laughs> in America. And that's really, like... They did demos before us, but a lot of, you know, we think that we've really kind of influenced the industry in terms of demos. Yes. Now you can see like Boulder Denim does mm -hmm. demos. They, you know, you demo everything. Mm -hmm. demo yeah, they were just at our gym the other day. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's so true, especially with a climbing shoe. It's so hard to switch from something you like to something unknown, especially like a shoe, because ha you have to know the fit and you have to know how it feels. It's, it's like a gamble that's not worth taking, but yeah. the demo is solves that problem yep. so well. And yeah. now I see a, Butura was for sure one of the first companies I feel like I saw happening a lot at my climbing gym where you guys yes. were coming in. And then now it's like Unparalleled's doing the same thing. They're extremely pushing the demoing at tons of gyms across the U.S. Yeah. But Smart. We wore ourselves <laughs> out. Those, those first two years was definitely like just 80, 90 hour work weeks. You know, we've gotten that down to like 60, but uh, <laughs> oh. yeah, but well, Butora is not the only thing you work on either. So that's, yep. <laughs> but let's stay with Butora for a yeah. little bit longer because I have a lot of questions. Yeah. All right. First off being, what's the hardest part of building the brand? Is it like actual branding? Is it marketing? Is it distribution? Like what is the most difficult thing from the early days to now that you guys dealt with, with an unknown shoe company. I think it's marketing without having a big pocketbook. I mean, if you're, you know, some of these brands like, you know, Black Diamond can introduce climbing shoes and they're 
you know, a $100 million a year or whatever machine that can just like, they they can just do it and just turn it on. They can saturate the market. Well, and yeah, and they've got the dollars to go and all Mm -hmm. the, you know, magazines are super expensive. Uh, You know, getting climbing, you know, ad in a magazine's not cheap. Um, And so just trying to do grassroots marketing. And we worked with, you know, this company called Harness there and they're still with us. Uh, They're our marketing uh, engine and you know Brad did a tremendous job those first couple of years just with what he knew but really just getting the word out is super but super how that's what I'm saying like where does that word go I understand you're saying you get the word out you got the demos you have driving across country to like face-to-face interactions but how do you do it from an office yeah you know getting um, getting ambassadors you know we've yes. got like 45 50 ambassadors you know just giving them a lot of free product and that was super hard in the early days it's like wait a minute we're gonna <laughs> give away forty thousand dollars with the climbing shoes and we're like we haven't uh, even made that much we're like yeah, yeah. we have to <laughs> yeah you have to that's kind of what you got to do so to build this thing but um yeah just just a lot of a lot of a lot phone of calls work. a lot of yeah just just running, gunning. Well, that was one of my other questions was going to be how important is Mm -hmm. a team of athletes, brand ambassadors and social media. So that's like a three prong question. How important to a fledgling company are those things? It's everything. I mean, it is, especially nowadays. I mean, I don't think you can do it without that. You know, you know, we get, you know, like Ben Hanna, he was our first athlete. That's a good one. And, you know, we were all there. Like, you know, he's just really good, obviously, at the... He's good at a lot of things, but he's really good at, like, the the speed climbing over water, the, the Seco Comp series. Yeah. And he's always done well. Mm-hmm. And, like, I remember that second year, I think it was, where he was, you know, he raced and beat Sharma. And we're all, like, you know, with our little, yeah. little climbing shoe company, <laughs> we're all standing there in the crowd, and James Nam's there watching, and we're all just like, go, Ben, go. And yeah. like, fuck um, Tanaya. <laughs> Well, I'm just kidding. That was me. Yeah. No, we love those guys. Um, (laughs) But yeah. So, you know, having people that really love your product and talking about it on Instagram makes a big difference. Yeah. What about the social media rubric? Like, how do you guys tackle that? Because that seems to me like one of the keystones of a marketing platform. Yeah. Uh, fortunately I don't have to deal with a lot of that. Good for you. Yeah. It's tough. Um, you know, (laughs) you pour a lot of money into it, uh, you know, but just having the grassroots grassroots guys and gals out there wearing the shoes and just, you know, posting photos and we've got pretty simple contracts, you know, it's just like, Hey, do one post per month. Um, you know, tag us in it and you know, yeah. Wear our shoes. Pretty simple. That's it. One post a month. Um, I think that's what it was. I don't know if that's what it still is. That's pretty but good. But yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. We're, we try not to ask too much of our ambassadors because, you know, we're giving them product. Um, there's a couple of them we pay and we cover all the, like, I was gonna ask a that. lot of their travel expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, so we fly them around to different places and we pay that's for videos cool. to be done. And um, But yeah, you know, we just don't want to ask. We, we, we want them to want to be it's, an ambassador. It's, right. It's cool to see the two extremely... Uh, opposite approaches you have a company like black diamond that's already a juggernaut that introduces like eight types of shoes with and i don't know i don't really know any sponsored black diamond climber off the top of my head climber with the whole company no just for the shoes yeah, right? I yeah like i don't know if any of their pro climbers are wearing their shoes. exactly that's the thing though is when you have you're already such an established thing they can just with the money they can just put that product out there and people know the brand whereas you guys took the a much different like grassroots approach because you guys didn't have that kind of juggernaut behind you of 
slowly building athletes. And that's kind of, I think where I really started seeing more of it too, was like Jeremy was following Jeremy on seeing his videos. Yeah. Jeremy Fullerton. Yeah. Yeah. I met him at Mount Evans and like there was some highball and he was like, Hey, nobody will try. I was walking out and he was like, Hey, nobody will try this with me. You should try it. <laughs> so I jumped on it and then we just became buddies. And it was funny. I kind of joke like this was in 2013 or 14 and he was always stronger than me, but we were pretty close. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> like I went one way and just started starting businesses and I'm still, you know, bouldering V7, V8. <laughs> Jeremy went and just climbed like yeah. crazy and, you know, boulders V14. So he's uh, built his life around that. Yeah, though, right? totally. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's awesome. Like I still tell people he's like my favorite pro climber. Yeah. I just uh, love, I just love that guy. I mean, he's, he's just, quite he's, obviously one of ours too, since yeah. we've had him on twice. Yeah. He just, that dude just lives for, I've never met anybody who just lives for the sport as much as he does. Yeah. He's a great ambassador get right there. I guess he, he's a team member, but yep. holy cow, you can't ask for like a kinder, goofier dude. Yeah. <laughs> Fullerton. Yeah. yeah. And he's like my go-to guy. Like I just gave him some shoes last week. He's like one of my main yeah. test guys. So when I get new products in, I just... I send them to him, Ben, Lisa Chulich, and like a handful nice. of other guys. And Jeremy's always just like my, because he can destroy shoes. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, are, are you involved in the design process at all? Yeah, quite a bit. Um, oh, so, nice. yeah, um, you know, kind of how it works is Mr. Nam will come up with an idea mm -hmm. and then he'll work with not, not just me, our whole team. Uh, I kind of head it up, but our whole team and he'll send us samples. We'll climb in them. I'll get them out to my athletes and I'll say, you know, Hey, we need to change this. We need to move this yeah. here. Um, you know, the last doesn't fit perfectly this way. And then he'll, he'll make the changes. And he's, cool. he's, he's so, so accommodating in that respect because he pretty much, you know, like the first couple of years, he was very much like, no, I know what I'm doing. I'll yes. design the shoes. You guys just sell them. And now <laughs> like the table has turned completely to where, when he comes up with an idea for a new shoot, he doesn't even come up with the idea. He's like, Mac, what do we need to make next? Um, and how should it look? And what, you know, mm -hmm. what, um, you know, what part of the market should it fill? So that's been a lot of fun for me because I really just like the geeking out over, over shoes and I can sit there and, you know, just do that for hours. And yeah. Yeah. How'd you learn that? Uh, I mean, just teach yourself. Yeah. Well, no, it's really just climbing and spending a lot of time. I mean, if you climb a ton and spend a lot of time oh, around yeah. climbers, you quickly realize, and you know, like I've got an ear to the ear to the ground in terms of what people like, what people don't like. And having done so many demos at my, you know, myself, just learning over, over the years, what people want, what, what works, yeah. what doesn't work. You, you get a pretty good sense for it really quickly. Wow. So, do you design on, what do you des like? What, format do you design in cat or uh, no so i don't i don't do any designs oh. um, yeah he does that and he doesn't even do that anymore he's got we, we, he's um working with a couple italian designers um I mean, he still does a lot of the design work but his main james's main ability is to take a picture and turn it into a shoe like there's a lot of, it's really hard to come up with a design like the actual drawing that's difficult it's in my opinion quite a bit more difficult to take that picture and turn it into a good product. Yeah. But yeah. When, when it, you know, when you go over to the factory, um, and you, and he just geeks out on his design process and he does everything just a little different and he's got reasons for it. Um, you know, he's just, uh, um, you know, a genius at, at, at that, at industrial design, I guess you'd call yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so 
Wow. All right, let me ask a question about the the bigger picture with Butara. Like everybody's frustrated by things they can't control in this life, right? Mm-hmm. And we fight against that and fight against that and fight against that. And then eventually, hopefully, not everybody, they realize, oh shit, I can't control that. What were some of the things that, what are some of the things that are out of your control that you guys just can't pay attention to that maybe might cause frustration, but it's just like, we got to work around it. Donald Trump. Donald <laughs> Trump. Donald Trump. He's a favorite foil of the Thundercling podcast. <laughs> yeah, is he? Okay. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, um, th- that's the great thing uh, about us is that, you know, um, we, you know, we, Butora, we design the product, we build it ourselves and, you know, it's amazing. Like we'll, we'll be at OR mm-hmm. and, um, we'll be talking with a customer about like a design change they want to see in like a rental shoe take, for example, and James will literally get on the phone and then the next day at OR, uh, he's got a photo of the oh. new product that they've asked for. And he's like, you know, we, we did a custom, sh- for example, we did a custom shoe for Brooklyn Boulders for their rental product. Wow. And um, like we met with the owners at OR and they're like, yeah, we'd love to see a sample. And he's like, no problem. Gets on the phone. And it, was, it wasn't even a whole day. He's like, no problem. He's like, give me five hours. This was, we, like, we met with him in the morning. Like by that evening, he had a photo that, that the team at the factory had made. And they're like, is this what you meant? And they're like, yeah, actually. So, um, Can we get is... uh, 200 of them shipped tomorrow also? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, by things out of your control, does that mean like when you said Donald Trump's, I mean like the tariffs or like increase in money? Yeah. And just, you know, importing as any of the other shoe companies or anybody, you know, just who deals with importing knows it's just a real challenge. Getting things through customs is, is just a lot of work. It's a, it's kind of a nightmare. Is that a learning process? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like how did that go? Tell me about that. that That's that's pretty much all Brian's area. And like Brian went from knowing nothing about customs to, I mean, he could probably get a job as a customs attorney. Like he's learned so much about it and like, you know, HTS codes and there's just so much involved with moving products through borders. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, I haven't had to, to do a lot of that. Brian's really taken the burden on that. Dude, no social media, no customs. It seems like you got the, pimp job at the company yeah. here other yeah. than your office yeah. that's yeah. why they put you in that office yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's got yeah. one downside <laughs> we're, we're, i'm getting out of that office next week but, uh, <laughs> do you think the distribution might be something that's eventually moved over here in some capacity uh, that's a good question so yeah we've looked at um you know we've looked at manufacturing shoes here mm-hmm. and we've looked at you know we've got a big a large warehouse and you know for, for the states up in wyoming and we've looked at doing it, but the problem is, is that rock climbing shoes are just so, it doesn't matter whether it's a, it's a $65 Climax shoe or yeah. a $210 Scarpo, mm-hmm. you know, what have you, all climbing shoes have to be put together by hand. There's not a machine that can do them yet. Yeah. Um, and so with Thank that, God. it's just, yeah, it's just tons of manual labor and you know, it's just the cost of cost of labor. Um, you know, we, we could build shoes here. They would cost. $400 so. a pair. And that's just the simple yeah. way of economics. And that's, you know, every brand has a way of dealing with that, whether you're in Europe or Asia or North America, there's, there's always ways to get parts of the shoe at least made at a lower cost. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it is something that we've talked about doing, um, you know, especially like the outsole completion. But then again, it just goes back to that finding quality. that he found that it's like, if you want to make the best quality, which, mm-hmm. which that's what he's really upset and we are obsessed with, um, making the shoes in one place is what we've found to be the best. Can I ask a dork question about, <laughs> totally. um, do you build your own lasts or do you buy lasts? We, we make our own. Okay. Yep. And that's just out of wood. No, no. Ma- what's no. it out of? It's, it's a polyethylene, which is just like a really high dense. Yeah. It's all, it's all, you know, uh, laser cut. Um, and it's crazy when you see like the, see all the last, but no, we, we make all those ourselves. Okay. Yeah. That's my of, dorky podiatry question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have shoes that uh, help Morton's toe? No, I'm not going to do that to you. Um, how do you guys deal with, uh, we touched on it, but how do you deal with brand loyalty? So like when you get in, is that about building a story? Is that about your branding? Because that seems to me one of the biggest hurdles you can clear <clears throat> as a climbing company, you know, or a surf company or any of these companies where it's a tribe where people have real loyalty to a brand. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was extraordinarily tough. You know, people, you know, like you mentioned earlier, they just love the shoes that they love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and we didn't really have a strategy. It was just make a good product and hopefully people like it. And they did. And I wish it was like more scientific for that. And I could say, well, you got to do this and that you gotta mm-hmm. do that. But it's really just, just make a good product. Yeah. And there's still, you know, we still, we've been around for going on five years now. We still have folks that haven't tried on our shoes. <clears throat> um, and when they do for the first time, you know, there's a lot of people that will try on our shoes and be like, yeah, it's just not for me. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But there's a, you know, a ton of folks that put on the shoes and they're like, wow, yeah, this is, I have to have that. It works. And they'll switch immediately just based on, you know, fit and comfort and climbing in them for 10 minutes at a demo. So is the, is the world of climbing shoe manufacturing kind of a, do you guys, it seems like you know the 510 people somewhat or, and, or in the Tanaya people, or is it, is it not really something that is a community, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's that close of a community. Yeah. I mean, you know, we are, we're obviously pretty close with the BD folks since we make okay, their yeah, shoes. Yeah. Um, I'm just good friends with, with Ryan and Everett from tonight. They're members at our gym. Oh, um, okay. And they're just good people. Uh, and Chris, the owner. Um, so if there's ever any graffiti over your Butora shoe wall, you're like, it's those tonight guys. Yeah, they watch out for those tonight guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, but I don't think it's that close. Okay. Close yeah. One thing I've, I've always wondered about climbing shoes itself is one, the thing that usually ends up being the decider for people with, for what brand they go with is how it fits their foot. And does, is there like a master foot <laughs> mold <laughs> yeah. that you guys base your feet, your, the shoes off of? They're There's, like, how do you guys decide what the, the shape will be of the, the foot? Yeah. That's, that's again, really all Mr. Nam's doing. Mr. Nam. Um, yeah, he's just spends a lot of time and that's really tricky because, you know, he's obviously Asian himself and, you know, as you can imagine, Asian feet are traditionally wider. Mm-hmm. Um, they're shorter. They're, they have, they're much higher volume. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, like we always talk about heels, you know, yes, when, whenever you're at a important. demo, people are always like, man, the shoe doesn't fit my heel. Like so true. heels are like fingerprints. Everyone's different. And, um, they're extraordinary. It's extraordinarily difficult to make one product fit everybody. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah, I don't really know his process. So no of, master of, foot. Yeah, there's no ma- there's no <laughs> master foot. To be honest, most of the stuff yeah. he just makes for himself. Yeah. Um, that's why like everything we get the first time is always size eight. I'm like, awesome. Mr. Nom, I need a I need a ten for me to try. How cool would that be? You're like, you know what? I'm sick of these shoes. I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna build make myself I'm a new pair. I'm gonna literally gonna make a really cool shoe for myself, and then it's gonna do really well. That'd be amazing. <laughs> he could make like. Something that would market go to market for like a thousand bucks, but he can just spend like two hundred dollars to yeah. build it himself and yeah. just have this super shoe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Nom Supercharger. Yeah. Well, why don't we uh, talk about something that you are? Oh, can I ask one more question? Yeah. Last question. Yes, do it. About Butora. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the long view? Every company expands, grows uh, in a number of different ways. What is the plan for Butora um, in the near and distant future? So our plan is we, we, you know, our, all of our t-shirts just say Butora, the climbing shoe company. Um, we don't want to expand into apparel. We don't want to expand into all these different avenues. Yeah. We just want to make, keep making climbing shoes. And, you know, obviously we just want to make the best climbing shoes in the world and, mm-hmm. um, you know, approach shoes kind of go with that and, and other footwear lines, Love but your approach shoes, dude, we just want to be, thanks. <laughs> we just want to, uh, <laughs> can't help it. Just stick with stick with climbing related footwear. That's okay. all we want to do, and we just want to get it better and better and better at it. Wear one hat, wear it well. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So let's do it. Let's well, segue, baby. Let's segue yeah. to the Longmont Climbing Collective. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we've got a gym. We've been open about eighteen months. Uh, it's really just Brian and I's brainchild. Yeah. You know, Brian's been trying to do it for even longer. Wow. Um, it's and. Like- he moved to Longmont in 1999. Obviously, there hasn't been a gym. Um, and then, you know, we were just tired of driving to Boulder. And we love the gyms in Boulder, but we just yeah. wanted our own it's the It's the climber's dream to own your own gym, too. I feel like Ugh. every climber at some yeah. point has been like, it'd be so cool. Oh, every so climber me, said so that. tell me, is it is it cool? <laughs> uh, it is pretty cool. You know, there are, I definitely do come in after hours and just, you know, blare Rage Against the Machine yes. and climb uh, to my, myself. I, it's kind of an adventurous story how the Longmont Climbing Collective started. Like, it kind of hit a hiccup during the recession and then the floods in 2000. Can you tell that whole yeah. story of how it almost became a gym and then again almost? Yeah. So, um, it's crazy. I think Brian kind of started back in an 08, um, 07. Uh, he, was, he lived in Korea for longer than I did. But he came back and wanted to start a gym because he moved here from Delaware in 1999. So he had experienced a lot of climbing gymless Longmont. Um, So 08 didn't work out for him because of financing. And then, you know, 2013, when I kind of hooked up with him and really 2014, we kind of got really serious about it. But um, we were just trying to find an existing building and that just proved extraordinarily difficult. And then there was the huge flood that we had. Yes. Uh, and so there was like a property that we were looking at buying and it got flooded. Oof. And so they were like, oh, you can't build something there. Uh, and it was really just a, a real estate issue. And yeah. I've got a background in real estate. So um, I just started spending every waking moment looking for buildings or places to build a building. And it just took us, you know, it just took us so, so long. Like years? Oh, yeah. It was like... Yeah, four years. Wow. To, to find, find a building. It's it's hard. Boulder County is, you know, it's expensive for yes. one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with 
after 2014, it became really difficult with, with medical marijuana because any big open space was just, you know, they just yeah. yeah, grabbed up by, by marijuana growers and it just pushed the prices for those big open spaces up quite a bit. So fucking potheads, man. <laughs> <laughs> Ruining climbing gyms. I know. No. <laughs> who, who would, how ironic is that too? Okay. So once again, I imagine it, you didn't have any experience with opening a climbing gym. No, but then, you know, obviously the, the real benefit is that, you know, having run Butora, both between Brian and myself, um, we'd pretty much been to every gym in the country. Not every gym, but I'd say you know, probably 80% of the gyms in the country between him and I, we've mm-hmm. been to. So we've, we've looked and said, we really like that. You yeah. know, we don't think we'd want to do that with ours. So we had a very good idea of what we wanted to do. Um, and we did it. So. Yeah, man. I mean, what does it, I guess, what does the collective of the Longmont collective, uh, climbing collective mean? Is this gym, was it like, is it owned by the members kind of, or no, is it more just to, to be honest, it's more of a name. Um, it was just, uh, it was just, you know, we would, we just wanted to have yeah. the community feel, which I'm sure every gym mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, him and I are both here all the time. You know, I train with, you know, all the members were just good friends. Um, yeah, it was just kind of a cool name. We, we, we want to open multiple gyms. We yeah. wanted like, you know, the Longmont Climbing Collective, yeah. the whatever city climbing collective. Yeah, I got to say, it's nice to come into your gym today. And after spending so much time at like, we both are movement members. And that gym, it's just, it's, they it's always, gym. yeah, it's a great gym. Yeah. Let me just say that. And they're all about the community. But sometimes you go in there, it's just so massive. And there's so many people. It's kind of loses some of that like a clubhouse vibe that I think is super, super valuable for climbing gyms. And it is is a part of climbing gyms that's sort of phasing out almost. Yeah. It's old school, right? To have that community feel. It is. And I think the market's coming back around to that. God, I hope so. You know, Evo's doing a new one in golden, Mm -hmm. um, which is sure to be super cool. And it's a, it's going to be like a small bouldering gym, intimate feel. Oh, it's great. Um, So yeah, hopefully it comes back to that. Cause I agree. I've been to some of the bigger, uh, the bigger gyms and it is just more fun when it's got that, that community vibe. What about the gyms in Korea? Yeah. And <laughs> what so that was like yeah, crazy. So the gyms in Korea or yeah, as I'm sure you know, they're yeah. just like basements, right? They're basement. Like you walk down a staircase yeah. and you go in and if you jump, you can touch the roof <laughs> and there are dudes with pointer sticks who instruct you where to go what? and you are climbing routes and circles and over the ceiling and back down holds on every square inch chalk dust everywhere. Mm. Uh, people coming in with uh, bulgogi and a plate of food and it's so communal, but it's so old school. Yeah. That was a nice vibe. Yeah. My favorite thing was, <laughs> yeah, I, I really relate to that. Cause the first gym I joined when I moved to Korea was that way. Or was this, this Mr. Lee, I remember, you know, he would come in and he had an old pool cue and I get, yes. get on the wall and he would just like touch holds and I just move and move. Oh. It was just, you know, obviously gyms over there are more about training than, than having fun. Yeah. And, uh, for sure. Yeah. I remember, you know, like all the strong dudes, you know, the, the five fourteen climbers, they'd go in there, uh, <laughs> you know, go train, <laughs> jump off the wall, light up a cig, yes, head outside, yeah. you know, burn a cigarette or two come back in and train and i'm like what is going on yes but they're go out and they crush their 14 uh, 14c project so it is crazy in in korea there are so many high-end 513 low-end 514 climbers mm-hmm. it's 
unbelievable. And they've got that. And you come in as a Westerner and they're just like fresh meat, baby. Yep. <laughs> and they get out that little pool cue and they're like, <laughs> what? The, actually, the first two words I learned were son and pal, yep. hand and feet, yep. because they're always like son. No, no, pal, pal. Yeah. I was like, what the hell is that? What's happening? Those are one of, two of the first words I learned. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what if you get like a bad stick guy and he's just bad at giving you a made up route? You get stronger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or you blow a tendon, one yeah. of the two. Either one. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, anyway, that was a small detour. I had to go down memory lane yeah. with you right there. But there, so um, uh, my wife's Korean and um, we go back with some frequency and uh, they're, you know, they're starting to build American style gyms. Obviously there's the North face gym. I don't know if you ever saw that in Seoul, but they're, no. uh, they're starting to build bigger, more Western style gyms. There was one when I was there called O2 yep. right below in Subang. And I heard that went out of business, but I could be wrong, but that was a Western, that was the only Western style gym I ever saw there. Yeah. Um, definitely didn't have the same feel, but you still had dudes stepping out for a smoke break. That's yep. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what were some of the biggest challenges other than retail for opening a gym? Uh, other than real estate, yeah. It was just like um, uh, really just financing. These things aren't cheap. Yeah. yeah how do you f- did you get investors? No, we just did it. So it's uh, the gym was, um, you know, me and my wife, Brian and his wife, Shauna, uh, and then uh, Aaron or Brian's brother-in-law, Aaron. Um, and it was just all of us putting in our savings you know, um, we've got a bunch of rental properties, so we, you know, put liens on all of that, but it was just, it was just doing it ourselves. So same thing, just kind of bootstrapping, figure out how to do it. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, kind of the same reason why we did the bouldering gym first. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll do a rope gym next, but the bouldering gym is just a little bit more economically easy to get into. Did you think about investors? Like a board or anything like that? No, we really wanted to kind of from the beginning, we were just like, if we can't, you know, if we can't do it ourselves, maybe it's just not in the cards for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a struggle uh, to, you know, to get the, get the finances together, but we just did it ourselves. So we're happy we did it. (laughs) That's super impressive because yeah, I mean, it took all you guys kind of believing in this pretty hard. Yeah. And we, yeah. And we were, you know, like when we got this space, you know, Brian and I spent three months of every single night we'd go sell shoes all day, work, work for Butora. And we'd come in and rip copper pipe and yeah. PVC and rip walls down. And just, it was just him and I. Yeah. Just, so you guys were heavily involved in the construction process. Too. Oh yeah. Yeah. We did the design, the construction. Yeah. Uh, everything was, was Brian and I just wow making it happen. Dude. So. I mean, we probably talk about some life balance here. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. We're finally starting <laughs> to get to a point where we're, you know, trying to have some lives. Like it's funny because you know, we first started this whole thing. We're like, we're going to go start a climbing shoe company because that'll put us in the industry and we'll be able to climb more ourselves. Like that was the ultimate goal from yeah. day one. And obviously we were sorely mistaken. <laughs> um, and it's still a constant battle, but like now I'm getting to the point where I'm climbing every weekend. Whereas the first three years, I mean, I think I got outside like two or three times. Oh uh, man. So it was just, yeah. I mean, it's worth noting though. I'm sure every time you walk into this gym, you have an enormous sense of like just gratitude that you, you, you accomplished something really significant, you know? I mean, that's, that's a, a a different type of project, but it's still a sick project, dude. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Oh yeah, exactly. You sent man. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You're actually like making, you're making money off your set. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we just fucking try to find our next project. <laughs> just Insta flexing. I just like coming in and climbing on it. Like it does. I still get a smile just coming in and climbing yeah. on the thing. Just be like, all right, good. 
I'm curious to know what were some of the other misconceptions you had, whether it's Butoro, whether it's a distributor of Maxim or 8B+, which you guys also do, whether it's opening a climbing gym. What other misconceptions were like quickly dashed? Well, I think we just uh, just vastly underestimated how difficult you know it would be. Um, I don't really know what specific area in that, but I mean, it's just... We're like, oh yeah, it, it'll be pretty easy. We, these shoes are great. Everybody, you know, we love these shoes. Everybody else will love them. They'll just fly off the shelves. Like, <laughs> we'll order, you know, we'll bring over a half million dollars of shoes. They'll be gone in a month. No problem. Oh. Doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Um, and you know, other things like, oh, how many size threes should we order? Like we ordered 20 of each size three. Five years later, we still have some of those size threes sitting yeah. on our shelves. Like that was a huge mistake. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, those are hard realized lessons. that wait a minute, size nines sell a lot more. You know, maybe we should have ordered yes. twenty times as many size nines as we do size threes. <laughs> uh, so little little stuff, but little, yeah, I just think we 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 thought it would be easier, and um, you know, just I I kind of joke like I tell folks like I've I've got an MBA just from doing this. Seriously, uh, totally. haven't gone to a classroom, but I've learned just so much. Um, which has been fun. I mean, have was anybody who is an original like founding member of this gym ever working in the management of another climbing gym? No. Because I got to say, I mean, you guys, this facility, like, to me, walking in, it just hits all the all the notes of like a professional climbing gym. So I'm sure that must yeah. be interesting though to figure out how the route setting department works, right? Because that's that is a huge huge part of a gym is having a a maintained wall, good hold selection, a rotating crew of people who can consistently put up good stuff. Like if you're, you can have an amazing facility, but if the roots are truly terrible, you're not going to necessarily keep people around. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and you know, it's, we've got a great setting team and I still, you know, I try to forerun every week with them. Yeah. Um, I don't get to it every week, but, um, yeah, again, you know, I'm in there climbing stuff and making sure it's good as, as long as i like it i figure other people will like yeah. it and that's worked pretty pretty well so far um how's the vetting process for route setters like i don't understand even though feedy's a route setter i've never asked him this question like how do you vet what's good and bad oh it's fun you get free oh. labor you just have them come in and set <laughs> set problems and you're like hey let's see if we like this yeah um no we, we've been fortunate we really haven't changed uh our route setters too much and the crew that we have now, they're fantastic. And you can tell pretty quickly, as I'm sure you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody said, you have to say, Hey, set a V zero V five and a V nine, yep. climb them. And you're like, all right, you're pretty good. You know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and then you just kind of like mold them to what you're specifically looking for. Cause you know, that was one of yes. the other, one of the other biggest growing pains. And the thing that we just did completely wrong from the get go was that we assumed <laughs> that since we were on the front range, we're like, Oh, this is just going to be our, our core group of members at the gym will be climbers. And we were just totally, totally wrong on that. Uh, so many people we've, we've made so many climbers and so many people cool. got That's introduced cool. to the sport. Yeah. Um, we are like our first sets right out the door was just way too hard. And people yeah. were coming here and they're like, Hey, uh, I climbed the V one and the V two, but I've <laughs> been coming here for a month and I can't do a V three. And so we've had to, you know, that's a, that's a constant thing. Like every yeah. week I'm still doing that, like meeting with my headsetter, talking about grades, movement, mm -hmm. just there's so much. That, that's such a good point though, about every gym has its, has its demographic too. You know, you go to movement Boulder, which is where it's like, you get people like Dave Graham coming in all the time. 
it's just a completely different vibe than if you have people who've never climbed before coming in like what's a v3 yeah exactly <laughs> and do you guys are you guys starting to even like introduce classes on or change, shifting your focus to building good climbers i guess if that makes sense we are yeah from the get-go you know we've always done um you know we've always done introduction you know intro to bouldering yeah um we have an adult bouldering league that's going on right now Sick. so it's a lot of just yeah there's a lot of education on what you do mm-hmm. we you know we still get i remember before we actually had before we had holds up on the wall we had someone stop in and they were like they looked at the walls and they were just like oh this is an art gallery cool <laughs> i like it whoa yeah what? they're like yeah it's not the setters were like yes it is yeah 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 <laughs> i mean that is a kind of a cool compliment in one way it's like someone came in and literally was like oh this is like it, it, a, i mean it's a beautiful um, facility yes, this is like a super aesthetically pleasing yeah. facility especially the yeah we came um, in like golden hour it was like light was shining in. yeah and the the Aww. kind of parquet-esque walls you guys use from that company we were talking about before it's just why did you choose those instead of a textured wall mm-hmm. Um, well, so those are actually pretty textured. Oh, uh, are you, they? Yeah. If you go feel them, they're pretty rough. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so vertical solutions, just pretty much the aesthetics drove it. You know, we, we Beautiful, just love the dude. look. Um, yeah. there was only one other VS gym on the front range at the time, uh, at Uber Griffin down in, oh, in sure. yeah, yeah. at Stapleton. So, um, yeah, we just wanted to be kind of unique and didn't oh, yeah. want the real like Waltopia look traditional yeah. Yeah. color looks. So the it's so look. pretty, man. And you guys are kind of, uh, there's definitely a a technology vibe too with the, um, I have it written down, the adjustable training platforms on all of your walls, which are these giant like hydraulic rigs that can move your training walls back and forth. And you have the uh, kilter board, which I've never seen in real life. So was, and you have uh, the, the uh, app that you can like, that climbers can communicate with each other about each of the routes. My climb, yeah. Was that, um, was that like an idea that you guys had from the very beginning? Let's, let's introduce some technology to this place? Uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely like technology. We're good friends with, with Ian and Jackie and the whole Kilter crew. So yeah. that was, you know, we, were the, we had the first Kilter board and, um, you know, they, they were nothing but ultra supportive of bringing it in here and letting us, you know, they gave us a great, great deal on it. Um, but yeah, we just knew that we couldn't be the biggest gym on the front range and mm-hmm. we wanted to be competitive. So that was a way to do it. You know, we were, I think at the time, and we may still be, we're the only one with like four full hydraulic boards. Maybe yeah. that, that's probably changed. There's been lots of gyms that, um, but we really wanted to focus on training. That's like the, the back third of our gym is just focused on, yeah, it's huge on training. Um, so that's what we're passionate about. Uh, and we thought, you know, our customers would be too. And it's worked. I mean, aesthetically speaking, having like these, cause your walls are fucking big. Like, <laughs> yes, tall. Yes. This they is are, a tall bouldering yeah, gym. It's, the it's tallest a, wall at your gym listener is like every wall here. Um, not every wall, but you have these beautiful wood, you know, walls that are so pretty and parquet style. And then you have all this, like the hydraulic pipes and, <laughs> running up to the ceiling and the photo of the app thing and the kilter walls lit up, you know, it's an amazing aesthetic, man. Like, Thanks. well done. Thank you. Not yeah. that you need me to say that, but yeah, no, I appreciate that. It looks so good. Um, let's talk about teaching as well. So I'm sure you're aware. We're all aware of the Jim DeGrag movement. They're 
millions of new climbers being born every day. <laughs> and in my opinion, it's incumbent upon gyms, specifically gym owners and the people who uh, kind of deal with the attitude of the gym to help train etiquette or gym to crag ethics. Do you guys have any, um, what do you do for that? Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, so we do, we do a number of things. Number one, we take, we regularly take, uh, folks outside bouldering. We haven't done a sport climbing one yet, uh, cause we're a bouldering gym for now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we take our members outdoors and that's like, that's literally the bet. Like we go to Flagstaff all the time and we'll just take a group of our members that have either never climbed outside before or have limited experience. Um, we just round up a bunch of crash pads from our friends, mm -hmm. go out there and introduce them to climbing. So mm -hmm. that's like number one. Um, we do uh, speaker series. So like we just had Paige Clausen in last oh, year, a couple weeks ago. Nina Williams has presented. Um, so we talk, you know, we, we introduce outdoor climbing to our members because mm -hmm. again, a large portion of our members either have never climbed outside or uh, don't have interest in climbing outdoors yet. Um, crazy. Yeah. So, that every so time I hear that us. from gym owners, I'm just like, it's, it's the reality, but it's, it is just so wild. It is wild. Yeah. And you know, I don't understand it, but I, you know, climbing indoors is fun and yeah. it's a good, you know, so many people just come in to climb just to, to lose weight or to, um, you know, just get fit, stay healthy. Uh, it's more fun than doing bench press. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, so that's really it. Really, it's just taking climbers outside. You know, we also do, um, we take our staff out, not that our members, but our staff out and we do like trail maintenance days with the BCC. Oh, good. Uh, Brian's on the board of directors with the BCC. So we're pretty close with those guys and we're good, good friends with the access fund. So we do a lot of initiative type stuff. Um, but really the best and our, you know, our favorite thing is just fun to take climbers out. Oh to, yeah. Yeah. And is there a teaching like rubric when you take them out? Do you, is, whoever's in charge of that trip, do they talk about micro trash, tick marks, um, waiting in line, not crushing the brush or whatever like that? Yeah, pretty much all that. It's, it's, we don't have anything written down, but yeah. all that stuff just, you know, when you go sessioning for three or four hours, that stuff just comes up and you're just like, hey, you know, um, there's other climbers here. You know, you can ask them to... If you can yes. go put your pads up there, don't just go and jump on their, on their, their problem or, um, you know, obviously picking up trash and wiping off tick marks that just kind of comes up, but we don't have like a set. We're not that organized, I guess. Yeah. But, okay. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. I didn't know what would happen if I said it's incumbent upon gym owners, but man, you guys have, it totally is. You guys have a huge stake in this thing. You yep. know what I mean? We do. I think I a agree. responsibility, whether you want it or not. Yep. Frankly. Agreed. Yeah. And it's, you know, it is a problem. Like it's, it's a huge problem. It's, you know, I've been climbing 15 years and, you know, we've, we, we always have this saying like climbers are great people. And I think climbers are great people, but there are so many new people coming into it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sound pessimistic, but I feel like some of that is getting watered down and the culture I feel that we used to have as climbers, um, is changing a little bit and maybe not as strong as it used to be. And so, I think it's incumbent upon all of us, but especially the gym owners to really kind of train trains, not maybe not, maybe not the appropriate word, but shape maybe. Yeah. Shape yeah. those people into, um, you know, kind of being good stewards of the sport. Totally. Yeah. We, we've talked about it, of course, 
probably more times than Feedy <laughs> is comfortable with on this podcast, but I always say it's like trying to build an army of advocates. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is our natural space. It is our basketball court. Can't play basketball on a court with broken glass and trash everywhere. Like, let's take care of it. You know what I mean? But yeah. that isn't... That, that isn't the first thing that pops into a new climber's head. They're like, oh, there's trash on the trail. Who cares? Yeah. Like there's trash on the trail when I hike. Yeah. As a climber, we need to take some responsibility because that is our basketball court. That's our soccer pitch. You know what I mean? Agreed. <sighs> do you want to take my... Do you need my soapbox? Dave's fired. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, what was it like? Tell me how you felt when the first like the grand opening of this place you know yeah. you put all this effort into this i wonder at what point were you like okay we're we're do, we're doing it like this is <laughs> this is going well yeah i mean it was that day you know i think we had like something like 1100 people it, it was we offered free climbing so <laughs> okay you're gonna get a lot of people <laughs> um, that's amazing though yeah um and it was just a huge party and it was i remember walking up on the mezzanine and just seeing you know just hundreds and hundreds of people and at that point it was like oh man you know dusting out the cobwebs and spending two months ripping pvc pipe and getting <laughs> old nasty water all over us and, yeah. and dust and you know all the sawdust and all that stuff it was worth it so um yeah it was also cool the first time when you see like a pro athlete come in and, yes. and then and then they give you feedback they're like oh great gym and you're like cool he likes it <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah. If you want to hear good things, you yeah. don't want to hear like, oh, Jim's all right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's okay. It's cool to me how <laughs> all your all your like jobs and work that you did leading up to this gym seemed to was like kind of a perfect progression, you know? You went you learned how to distribute, you learned how to market something and you know, working just in a like you said you got your MBA. It's just it's pretty cool to see it like kind of culminate in this this big project. Yeah, man. What's what do you th what's next, dude? Yeah, what is next? <laughs> My God. Um, so yeah, we're gonna be building. Uh, you know, we're like I said, under contract on some land. We're gonna be building a full full service climbing facility here in Longmont, um, and yeah, just more of the same. We love running gyms. Yeah, uh, running a gym is easier than running a shoe company. So <laughs> I would have guessed uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I mean, we love both, but. I mean, I think if it was push come to shove, I think we, we enjoy the gym thing more. Yeah. Um, you don't have to deal with, you know, Donald Trump can't step in and, uh, and customs doesn't really have anything to say about oh, your dude. climbing gym, but don't count um, your eggs before they're hatched. My friend, you don't yeah. know what's possible. Yeah, right. <laughs> you could yeah. come and be like, climbing gyms are done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking just I, wait. You gotta watch for his tweets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, exactly. But yeah, just more of the same. Uh, cool. yeah, That's we'd exciting. like to have a couple gyms and, uh, just keep going. Denver Climbing Collective. Yeah, come on down. <laughs> um, so we're going to do a little bit backwards. I mean, we won't keep you much longer, but we usually start off these by doing some history. And we skipped over all of that because we were too excited to talk about what you do for a living. But how, like, how'd you get into climbing? As little baby Mac, how did he just 15 years ago? Yeah, so... Um, Where were you too? I don't uh, know. University of Kansas. Okay. So like... Oh, beautiful Lawrence. Um, yeah, bunch Lawrence. of climbing around there. Yeah. That's a wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not much. Um, but I just got a, uh, a wall at the rec center. Um, yeah. So I started, you know, just going there like every day. Um, and I stopped. I had some health issues, so I had to stop drinking. So I was like, well, I have nothing. You know, I can't party anymore. <laughs> um, 
So <laughs> amazing how that can change your life in beneficial ways. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, Oh, I'll go to this climbing wall. And it was just all indoors. And as much as I want to be one of those climbers, it's like, I started outdoors, you know, mm-hmm. uh, climbing trad and you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, was, very rare. No, I started indoors and, um, very quickly we were like my brother, my brother actually got it and he was working at a, a store called galleons and they had like an indoor, yeah. you know, like climbing wall. It's yeah. like now Dick's sporting goods. Yes. Um, in Kansas city. And, he got me into it and we just drove out to Moab and went down to Potash road. Yeah. And that was the first, like we went and bought quick draws and we're like, man, that first bolt's really hard. Is that or really high? Is that supposed to be way up there? And, um, just like, okay, when we get to the top, what will we do? We'll, oh, uh, yes. Okay. We'll just figure this <laughs> Holy out. Holy crap. And I remember our first day ever climbing outdoors, this group of, um, climbers from Georgia or Tennessee somewhere they had ridden in and they like rode in on dirt bikes and they were like super stoned and like one dude <laughs> like Mad Max yeah pretty much and like they're like going up and just taking these huge whips and we're like man is this what this is, is about this like is? do we need to start smoking more you know, smoking more and like taking huge whips and um that is but yeah so just kind of started on our own love um, at first sight with uh, climbing oh yeah totally totally hooked like went and bought a pair of like, I don't even know what they're called. Like the blue five ten, super the unaggressive. The cl- with the yellow laces? Uh, yeah. Five ten. I, oh no, that was no, Sportiva was not, the cliff. Maybe, maybe not a uh, yellow laces, but just like, I don't know. It's flat as, yeah. flat as Kansas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Flat as Kansas. <laughs> um, and I was, you know, yeah, it was just, it was a fun experience, but definitely hooked from, from the get go. And then how did that disrupt as climbing does how did that disrupt your life like where was it from there did you start taking road trips uh yeah pretty frequently but then um you know after getting out of school actually not a ton at at the beginning because i was a broke college kid so yeah it was really just climbing indoors um and then you know we had a gym in blue springs missouri which was um ibex it was you know by today's standards a terrible climbing gym but back then it was pretty rad yeah um but yeah, then it was just move out to Utah and climbing all the time. Little Cottonwoods. So. Our gym in college was uh, a racquetball court. Oh, nice. <laughs> that they built climbing walls in. And I thought, okay. I mean, I started outside, but when I discovered that gym, I thought it was the fucking coolest thing yeah. I'd ever seen in my entire life. Like, oh my God. And it was a racquetball court. Yeah. Can you imagine? So that gym that you were in, can you imagine somebody saying like in 10 years, this is what they're going to look like? Yeah. It's like, no way, dude. That's like a warehouse. I'm so jealous of kids coming up these days. Oh, I know. It's like, you don't even know. You don't even know. I remember, well, it's funny about Dave saying that I actually never climbed at that racquetball court because when I moved to Iowa, (laughs) I was like, oh, climbing sick. And I walked into that room and turned around and never went back. (laughs) Really? Oh, really? Oh man. <laughs> cause I was like, uh, cause I had come from California where there was like a modern esque gym. And mm-hmm. I was like, this isn't a gym. <laughs> Dude, that's the, that's Sorry, the beating pulse of Actually, where a gym was. I deeply regret that decision though, to this day. That a VCR and a TV up in the corner that would play like free Waco oh, yeah. at all hours nice. at all times. That's where you find like true climbers though. The people who are just hanging out in that pit. Just yeah, inhaling the rubber dust. The rubber, it was like uh, yeah, the tire. Shredded, shredded rubber tire. tires, oh, yeah. something yeah. around. 
Oh, it was the fucking best. <laughs> we used to like Friday nights, we'd like all get together and watch like dosage on someone's oh! laptop. It's like a DVD in the laptop. Dude. We used to have those. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, at the, at the gym. Dude, I mean, those were the day. I don't, I don't want to sound like an old man, but <laughs> do you remember those feelings like right when you started climbing and like somebody pop in a dosage on a computer or a portable DVD player? You remember yeah. those? Oh, yeah. And you would just be so psyched like otherworldly stoked yeah doesn't happen much anymore no well we're, yeah i just, yeah i just remember watching those dosages and being like what does v15 even mean yeah <laughs> i fucking still ask that question all the time yeah what? yeah what? that's nonsensical to me well yeah. i read somewhere too that your three favorite climbing areas are yangshao hompi and crazy horse in chiang mai thailand when did you go to all those? Is that when you were overseas in Korea? Yeah, just because it was so cheap to go to. And, and to be honest, that's probably changed a little bit. Um, but, and, and to be fair, a lot of those places are just because they're cool places to travel, even if you're not climbing, right? Dude, Humpy's the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think Marglef's probably my favorite in terms of just the, the actual stone. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so much good climbing out there. What made you leave the U.S. in the first place? Just, uh, just always been a traveler yeah. and you know, when somebody told me that I could go get my flights paid for my apartment paid for and like hang out with kids all day, teaching them English, it was pretty uneasy. Yeah. So free healthcare, free healthcare, a yeah. country full of rocks, save a bunch of money. First like, ascents everywhere. Yeah. It's pretty easy to go. Could you, so wait a second, you couldn't drink booze in South Korea. I quit drinking. Uh, yeah. Like couple months before i went there wow that yeah, must like have been difficult completely dude. quit it was that yeah. culture is yeah how do Gambay. i say this they Sa- like saturated soju yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you guys make me want to go to korea oh it's great you man should. yeah the climbing's so good yeah and the culture is just like the most accepting and fun yeah i guess one thing i would would, would like to ask is how much time so how much time goes into researching and market study before a shoe like gets launched right because if a sh- it seems to me if a company launches a shoe that doesn't do very well and flops that's like could be extremely devastating yeah yeah pretty pretty expensive too like i know we, we were touching on it earlier but um you know it's it's in, it's a, it's extraordinarily expensive to come out with a new line of shoes or like you know we for example um all of our like on the acro all of our soles those are all heat molded and, and, and hot pressed. They're forged essentially. Yeah. Uh, like you think of a forged piston or something it's sure. just stamped. Mm-hmm. Um, so every different size for every different model of shoe has its own press. And we have, you know, we go to the factory and it's just, it's, it's a sight to see. Yeah. Um, but there, there are all these presses. And so, um, yeah, the development of a shoe, you're totally right. It's, if you don't get it wrong, it can be pretty detrimental because you're, I don't know an exact number, but I would, I would guess to come out with a new shoe for any company, yeah. you know, you're, I would say you're probably 50,000, a hundred thousand, you know, low six yeah. figures. Like it's, it's not cheap. Um, just to get the tooling and everything mm-hmm. set up and yeah. Jesus, uh, man. There, I mean, there are a lot of companies out there that lay some clunkers out there too. <laughs> not saying that their shoes crap. I'm just saying for yeah. whatever reason, it doesn't grab any market share and it just dies in a year. Well, yeah. And there, and there's all, you know, there's of course cheaper ways to do it, right? You can take, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks or a lot of companies might take an old last and just make a new shoe off of that last. Uh, um, um, 
or um, just make a very similar style shoe and just change the materials and, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple pieces of, you know, upper material or just change the rubber or whatnot. But uh, yeah, in terms of like what market studies, you know, um, we do a fair amount. Um, Market studies in general are just pretty expensive. So there's, there's only so much you can do with limited resources, but um, yeah, a lot of it is just what climbers want. And, you know, uh, making a shoe, putting it out there and seeing if it works. Like, to be honest, we came out with a model called the Sensa, which was our slip on. Yeah. Um, black and white one. Yeah. And we just, we didn't get it tested enough. It's not what we want it to be. Um, so we're actually pulling it off and we're going to go remake it. Okay. Um, so that's like, that's an example of one we got wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to go try yeah, to do that. What does that look like? Kind of realizing that maybe it is time to redesign or kind of co- pull it back. Was that, was that just sort of seeing it not be received very well by people or? Well, we just knew that shoe in particular, we just knew that that's the only one that we've had that we've put out that we just weren't happy with how it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just knew fairly quickly because at the demos, people were just saying, hey, this just doesn't fit my foot, doesn't fit my mm-hmm. foot. Um, and that one in particular, you know, we leaned a lot on uh, the Japanese team. So, you know, he's got... Uh, you know, distributors in Japan, Australia, Europe. Yeah. Um, and so the Japanese team had a lot of influence on that. And, um, you know, their feet are very different than ours. Uh, so um, I think we catered that shoe particularly to an Asian fit. Uh, higher it's, volume. It's, yeah, it's wider. very high volume. If you have high volume, wide feet, that shoe will fit you pretty well. Um, if you don't, if you wear Sportiva, some of the, you know, the Italian brands mm-hmm. that cater to a, a more narrow foot, uh, that shoe doesn't fit very well. So, and, and we didn't, it's a we, slipper. Holy cow. It's yeah. just not going to, you can't make it work for you. Yeah. And we, on that shoe in particular, we tried, um, it's made out of what's called a jacquard weave. So we were the first in the industry to take like, it's kind of what, um, Nike and Adidas. If you yeah. Mind me geeking out here. Oh, um, please. please do. Like the upper of that shoe is sewn as one piece. It's not like uh, a flat piece of material yeah. that we sew it into a mm-hmm. shoe. Like you can actually look in the shoe yeah. and the size is sewn into the material because each one is sewn like that. that yeah. And it, wow. and it, and it, and I, and to be honest, it was, we, we wanted to introduce that technology to climbing shoes. Cause we're always about like kind of pushing the barrier of what's been done before in technology. Um, and it just didn't work out as well as we would have liked. So we got to go back to the drawing board. I remember, yeah, like when Black Diamond shoes, which you guys made, came out, there was like a huge thing. It was like the knit weave is yeah. like a is like a running shoe. <laughs> yeah, the knit, the whole knit thing is kind yeah. of taken the, yeah. the market by storm. So. I, yeah, is so you guys are you guys cre- were the first to bring that on the market. Um, is there anything else you guys are working on that's sort of cutting edge? I know, for example, that Mad Rock is starting to create shoes that are made in one mold right yeah and is that something you, that you believe wait what it's, does that mean they literally print the shoe as one piece oh it's integrated the rubber piece. and everything yeah oh. uh just the i i think if it's or the it's upper the it's the their rent their new rental shoe i believe oh okay that's I, cool. i'm not sure i don't yeah. really totally know yeah it was line. sort of like it, i saw something about it too so yeah so they're trying to and, and it's a great idea because it will mm-hmm. dramatically reduce the cost of making the shoes. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if they're using pure butyl rubber for that. Mm-hmm. Butyl rubber is what you think of as sticky rubber. Everybody has their own compound. We've got our secret sauce. Vibram has their secret sauce. Yeah. You know, Charles Cole from 510 had his secret sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that shoe is butyl rubber based. Um, my understanding was that it was just a rental shoe. Okay. Um, 
made more for just like durability and long wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so we, we've done a fair number of things. We've, um, we came up with like this, again, it's kind of hard to do it without showing, but like yeah. edge tech. So we wrap the midsole of the shoe up. Uh, we use a, an ABS plastic. That's a really, um, it just keeps the rebound and the properties of the down, like our shoes are downturn downturned shoes, you know, a year into their use. If you looked at a pair of acros a year later, they'll still be downturned. I have them in my van right now. Yeah. Cause we use this, this really kind of, uh, this, this ABS plastic that has a high rebound property. Um, so like one thing edge tech just off the top of my head, it takes that midsole and it wraps it up the front of the rand. Yeah. Um, so it kind of prevents some of that toe bulge that you get in a thinner randed shoe, which yeah. you can employ to get, you know, better sensitivity and so forth. Um, so d- different stuff like that, which we've played with, you know, right now we're working on a model that's not out yet that, um, that, uh, has carbon fiber in the midsole, uh, just kind Sweet. of cool properties. What you yeah. can do with carbon fiber. Yeah. Uh, Expensive though. Right. Uh, it is, but again, it's like, you know, spend a couple extra dollars and make the shoe way better. If we can do it, we'll do it. Hell yeah. Um, type of a thing. So, um, one more question about geeky stuff. Mm -hmm. So you guys use a proprietary rubber. Why'd you decide against for a proprietary rather than using a proven product? Because I've seen some companies get the proprietary stuff terribly wrong. (laughs) <laughs> terribly like uh, i think of boreal in the early 2000s when they used that shiny glossy rubber and that kind of coincided with their downfall in america like that's was that scary i guess it was mr nom it was, probably it dealing was with it that. was just all mr nom and again he is like i can't emphasize enough how much of a uh, a nerd he is for these <laughs> kinds of things like so he makes his own rubber in his own factory um <clears throat> And he won't even let he won't even let us know it. It's, wow. it is, he, he won't let anyone know it. It's his secret formula, um, and he does a bunch of things to it differently. Like, for example, you know, you can take a you could when you take a piece of uh, butyl rubber and to turn it into you know, there's a bunch of different additives that you can add to it to make it your own secret sauce. But you can when you cure that rubber, like the traditional way of doing that is you mm-hmm. take it to a very high temperature for a very short duration of time. Um, and he doesn't like doing that. He likes taking it not as high of a temperature, but he likes to do it for a longer duration. And in his opinion, that increases the, um, it makes the porosity or the density of the rubber um, more stable over time. So like shoes become, climbing shoes become more or less sticky, so to speak, over time. Yes. Because the pores in the rubber get closed up and they get compacted. So it's not gripping. Um, so he thinks he's got... Uh, this kind of his own way of improving that. Uh, so really it was just, uh, his reason to come out with, we, we call it Neo fuse. We have Neo fuse and Neo force and then just regular Neo rubber. But his development of his brand of rubber was just because he wanted something that wasn't available in the market. Right. So it's great rubber, man. That's a make or break right there. If your yeah. rubber isn't good, your That's company's good. diving baby. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is good rubber. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't own a pair if it wasn't. Um, all right, man. Let's wrap it up. That was awesome, cool. dude. Thanks, thank man. you so much. Yeah, I love you. getting into the nuts and bolts. I hope yeah. listeners are like, holy shit, I took these shoes for granted, man. These yeah. people are slaving away. Yeah, there's there's just so much that goes into shoes. And yeah, uh, into climbing shoes. It's 
yeah it's fun to fun to geek out on so thanks yeah, for having me on yeah oh, dude you. best of luck with everything yeah, thanks appreciate it are you still tired yeah tur- no no this is a completely different day completely different time yes i'm refreshed it's, good i've got a new boat you harpooned the shark no, yeah i just jumped onto another boat that had a it turns out the shark is still there oh he's still around but yeah. you're take you're taking you're yeah. making an effort to yeah i'm throwing look after the shark i'm throwing rice at him right ho oh. it's not working that seems like a bad <laughs> idea but before you were throwing chum chum yeah so that i really a- was i was like rapidly throwing chum which <laughs> It turns seems out, like a super bad yeah, idea. Yeah, it was a terrible idea. <laughs> um, so we should first off say, a uh, second off say, thank <laughs> you so much to Mac. Yeah. Um, fascinating conversation. And just, dude, this is one cool guy. busy mofo. Yeah. So busy and, ins- I, I don't know, I always, whenever I see someone who is successful like that, it always inspires me to fucking get my shit together. Yeah, totally. I, I remember when we walked in and I was like, hey, Mac, do you have do you have kids? And he's like, no. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. <laughs> thank God. Dude, that'd be so hard. I mean, they'd even, be going straight to everybody. The everyone has a limit with what they can really do. Yeah. Yeah. And his wife is super supportive. We met her. So we got to thank Mac. He took us yeah. to the Butora and Longmont climbing collective headquarters. So we got mm-hmm. to tour the gym, which is so beautiful. Yeah. Ian Powell, that freaking, he uh, built the first, the first kilter board ever made is at, Long, long that kilter board is sick it's holy impressive. cow um and then the offices of butora are right there so mm-hmm. we got to peep some new shoes oh yeah Ooh, buddy oh yeah super fun uh we had we had a, a little bit of behind the scenes talk about climbing companies and the state of all that we are not at liberty, not at liberty to, to discuss <laughs> our insider knowledge <laughs> i we asked him a question after we turned off the mm-hmm. record button i don't remember one of us asked him a question he's like is that thing off yeah, and I was like, "Yes." He's like, "Okay, oh, we okay. can talk. We can talk. We can talk." It was awesome, man. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, sorry to blue ball you guys like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but- also, yeah, we were definitely filming it or recording it live. So, if hopefully the people some ambient noise, some in ambient there, voices in weren't too abrasive. Um, but, anyways, I mean, I'm happy. <laughs> And you know what? That's the most important thing. Well, we got to thank Mac. Okay. That was uh, so tremendous and so awesome. We wish him the best of luck. They're going to have like 20 more gyms in five more years. So Jesus, dude, take care of the shark I know. is what I'm saying. You take care of the shark, my wife, my wife. and Mac take care of the shark. Yes. he's He's got like a minnow. He's got a minnow on his boat. It's because he knows how to manage yeah, he that thing. Manage he transmorgified a shark well, into a little pet minnow. Yeah, he didn't. He, that he taunts. He probably started off with, um, not chum. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, he was not throwing chum. Yeah. He was definitely had a, like a harpoon. Oh my god, this analogy. It's just gone on so long. It's like a <laughs> fucking soap opera. All right, so let's take care of some. Uh, let's take care of some housekeeping. First of all. We got a lot of nice feedback yeah. from the song on last episode. Yes. And we would like to say thank you for that because we slave over those songs for up to, but not over one hour. <laughs> and we want you to know that 
we appreciate the love. Yeah. We're going to keep them coming. And um, the pressure is growing. The pressure is growing, which makes me a little stressed out and tired. But other than that, um, if you guys want to get a hold of us, Thunderkling podcast at, at gmail.com and we, the thundercling at instagram yeah either way <laughs> shoot us we respond to everything we'll chat with you if you guys just want to talk um yeah. i'm feeling a little bit lonely and uh honestly dave needs someone to talk to i don't i can only as his wife you're you're I, too busy i can't talk yeah, to you I'm too busy i he tells me dude it's been a really long day like and you're like oh I've slept. i'm like sorry dave i got shit to do you're like tapping your watch you're yeah. like oh i just can't quite squeeze you into my schedule yep and then i go to the gym and i see you on the hangboard i'm like the fucking feedy man <laughs> oh hey dave feeding the shark <laughs> feeding the shark again uh, boat sinking um <laughs> I'm gonna get shark i didn't too. mean that i wanted to i i feel i'm gonna get a I feel lower great. i'm gonna get a lower body shark sleeve you know how people get like sleeves on their legs and arms from like my belly button down it's just gonna be jaws is jaws going all the way down what what is that what i truly don't know what you're talking about <laughs> we might have to cut that part out what's a shark sleeve like a tattoo sleeve oh <laughs> Joey, hell. i'm gonna get a, i'm gonna get the shark tattooed like from my belly button down it's gonna be a lower body sleeve and it's just the shark eating you. Yes, yes. Wow, that was a real, I love honest, <laughs> original moment that we just had right there on the podcast. I had no idea what you're talking about. Uh, I, I don't have a tattoo, man. What? I do. I'm the only one of my friends that I know of that doesn't have a tattoo. Dude, this a, is a fucking temple, bro. I'm I don't. I don't. I have like a that. sewing needle <laughs> and some ink, if you want. I am planning on doing some shit for money that will probably land me in prison. So let's get on that stat. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. And on that note, Sorry. if uh, any of you guys do land in the penitentiary, I'll see you there. Yep. I'm going to be holding down the fort solo, missing my wife. I'm going to keep saying that. I'm sorry. I hope you come to visit me. I'll try. Because it's, I fucking hear it's pretty rough in there, in the sl- in the clink. In the clinker? Yeah. Are you sure and what slammer? I'm going to do, what I'm going to do for money, Yeah. it's going to be bad. I'm not sure what it is yet. <laughs> But it's going to be maximum. You're probably going to write songs for people. Yeah. Donald Trump's going to arrest me for poisoning the mind of America's youth. Oh, my God. Fucking right. Tune in next time. (laughs) Only feeding. Ear hustle. Check it out. It's a great podcast. Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye. We're too tired. Ear hustle. Met my baby in the valley She let the pictures I cleaned her gobies Oh so gently Oh, oh, so Lately now she's drifted far from home Feels like her heart is set on wrong She's taken up the phone Writing bouldering poems 
Sometimes pray to my tried God It's not like tried but looks like dead But I would have bouldered with you You didn't ask me to The other day I saw you with Stephen I admit he's a gorgeous specimen Can he place a pink trican? Is he even a man? Tried, baby, she banished and left me Pulled a boulder in Houdini Placing my brassies all alone In a heart made of stone Bad news, baby, I took Stephen cracking Let a pitch with his confidence sagging I admit that he decked What? His body's probably wrecked Not to fret, I bought in a sauna Wanna crush Rick Riggs like a shaman Stephen might be dead he landed on his head Tried baby, she vanished and left me Pulled a boulder in Houdini Placing my brassies all along Placing my stoppers all along In a heart made of stone. Fucking <laughs> Steven, Wait, I hate that guy. Wait, what? did Steven actually? Did Steven actually die? Yeah, he's, I, I'm what? not sure. I think he died. What the hell? He, did you? Need my chat, baby. Did you put him on? I, you put him on a. You put him on like a. Yeah. <laughs> I you said you taken him on a five eight multi pitch. Yeah, it was like five twelve x. I'm sorry, Chad, baby. I just want you back. Uh. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Chad, baby. <laughs>